back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Tuesday, the 27th day of December, I actually said in the live feed of this that it was the 27th day of September, my bad. I'll be honest with you all, a little bit flustered today, a little bit not completely all here and getting my dates and days mixed up because yesterday I did not realize that this studio was closed. I did not realize the building was closed because of, of course, Christmas taking place on Sunday, which, by the way, let me be the last to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and the first amongst many to wish you a Happy New Year. But I did not realize the studio was closed. I did not realize the building was closed. So I drove here from Freehold Got here, saw the building was locked. I'm like, should I ask about that last week? My bad. But, hey, here today, now get the rant, rave, comment, opinionate on everything going on in the world of sports that means something to me, including another disaster that I stood through on Thursday. And you start to wonder at some point if I you know, just hate myself, if I'm a glut in the pun for punishment, the fact that I stayed there through that entire crap fest on Thursday night brought to you by none other than our New York Jets, because that was a miserable experience. That was as miserable experience as I've had at MetLife Stadium. You know, it's one thing, you know, a month ago when Mike White led the Jets in a blowout victory over the Bears and standing through a torrential downpour. You can get through that if your team is winning, if they're kicking the opposition's ass. But when it's just an outright mitigative disaster by the team you root for, then it makes it even worse to suffer through. Especially another dud performance by Zach Wilson, who I'm here to tell you all right now, and maybe I could be... Prove him wrong about this later. I'm done with him. I'm done with watching him as the Jet quarterback. I'm here to admit that I was wrong about him being the long-term answer for this team as I was wrong about Sam Darnold as I was wrong years ago about Mark Sanchez. But I feel even dumber because just like the Jets, I fell in love with what I saw from him from his pro day. I was wowed and amazed by that and I got suckered in by scouts saying he could be the next Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes when 
realistically, he looks like he's the next Ryan Leaf or Jamarcus Russell. And maybe I wouldn't feel like that if he was, say, a second or third round draft pick. But the fact that he's the number two overall pick, and two years ago at this time, the Jets were three games away from having the number one overall pick. They won a couple of meaningless games at the end of the season. And now we've had to watch Trevor Lawrence start to flourish this season with Doug Peterson as his head coach, get themselves into playoff contention, and come into MetLife last Thursday night and hurt the Jets' playoff chances. It just added an extra you know, sour pill on top of what has been a disaster so far in Zach Wilson's Jet career. You could start to feel a negative vibe when it came to Wilson in this game within, say, the first five minutes of the game. Within, you know, you get that big sack by Quinn and Williams early on. The Jets get the football down by the goal line, and look what happens after that. The offense goes backwards. Zach Wilson tries calling his own number on the first play, then doesn't see the blitz on third down. That forces the, them further back on the field goal attempt. And then the next drive, he he misses a wide open uh, Garrett Wilson. And from there, the Boo Birds started to the point where, you know, his mom can call us all toxic all we want, but all the way around, this has been a disaster. And while I'm on that subject, anybody who's making death threats to Zach Wilson's mom on social media really needs to look themselves in the mirror and wonder where your life is going. Because we know she's put herself out there a a lot with some of her social media stuff, even being so over the top that before Zach's rookie year, he was trying to pay her to get off of social media. But she does not deserve some of the crap that has been handed to her by Jet fans. No, no one deserves that. No, uh, you know, you want to boo the guy, you want to hate the guy, you want to be mad that the guy's the Jets' quarterback. That's fine. But I've always been of the mindset that you leave the players' parents out of it. You leave their family members out of it. And just concentrate on what that guy is doing for your team. And quite frankly, he's not doing much for this team. He's not providing much of a spark. He's not providing much enthusiasm. Not providing anything where you can hang your hat on and say, I feel confident going forward with Zach Wilson as the quarterback of the New York Jets. And while I don't love Mike LaFleur as the offensive coordinator, I would have preferred a more experienced Offensive coordinator with a, at the time, the, a rookie quarterback. I would have preferred more experience at each position on the coaching staff with a rookie quarterback. Why is it that Mike White can perform well in this offense? Why is it that Joe Flacco, when he's been in there and been motivated, has looked all right? Hell, in garbage time, you, you're getting Josh Johnson looking good. You get a CFL practice squad quarterback in Chris Shreveller, who 
beyond this preseason, no one's even heard of. He comes out on the field and is performing well. He actually gave the team a little bit of a spark, a lot more than what Zach Wilson was giving before he was booed off the field in the middle of the third quarter. And, you know, Robert Sala, I love the guy. I, I think he, he has a chance to be a very good coach for this team. But he's got to stop speaking out, out of both sides of his mouth. Stop with the, um, you know, I, I get it. You want to don't want to devalue a player because all these players, you know, while they're human beings, they're also commodities to a franchise. And if Jay Glazer's report from over the weekend is true that you want to uh, break things off with Zach Wilson this offseason, you want to still be able to have some kind of value to him, not completely throw him in the trash so that maybe you can get a fourth-round draft pick for him. But stop with every game. After every game, oh, we still believe in Zach. His story's not done uh, here. Uh, no, the, the excuse that, oh, we we just decided to stick with Shreveller because it was too late in the game. Let's just keep uh, rolling with this. No, you knew Zach Wilson provided you no hope, no optimism, no reason to believe you could come back in that game on Thursday night. Shreveller, they at least moved the football down the field. He had more complete. He can't throw the football. It's like watching Tim Tebow throw the football only without the over-the-top of uh, fans the over-the-top following to him. But he even in a quarter and a third completed more passes than Zach Wilson did last week. You know, Zach Wilson wasn't the only problem here. The, The Jets' defense was on the field too long. They allowed too many long drives for the Jaguars uh, in that first half. That's why, uh, even though they only scored 19 points, that 19 points felt like it could have been 95 points because the defense was missing a lot of tackles. They were allowed too many long drives by the Jaguars and had no pressure on Lawrence after the uh, Quinn Williams sack early in this game. And then you take in the fact that they had no ground game. And that that is where I want to get on uh, Mike LaFleur for. Why are you getting away from the ground game so quickly in, in this? Yeah, I know the offensive line sucks. Each and every single week, it seems like you have two or three different guys out there outside of Dwayne Brown and Lincoln Thompson. But th- this, you, you can't just run the ball 20 times and get away with from the the, the running attack. I mean, their best ground game was when Shreveler was out there, but between uh, Bam, between Michael Carter and Ty Johnson, they only ran the ball eleven times last week, and you know, that's against a team that was twenty seventh in the league um, on defense against the run. That part was un- unacceptable, but all the way around, that was. Just a, a, desi- a giant disaster. When I talk about before, you, you think about the symbolism of this. Here's Zach Wilson struggling, getting booed off the field, uh, getting benched for the second time uh, this season. Meanwhile, on the other side of the field, you have a coach, a Super Bowl winning coach in Doug Peterson, 
with a young quarterback that was the first overall pick in this draft, a pick that could come back and haunt this team for years to come, like not getting Peyton Manning uh, did for him. And he realized the conditions that night was not going to overly rely on his quarterback uh, trying to beat the Jets through the air. And he set up an offense for his quarterback to succeed, set up an offense where even Lawrence could call his own number and run with the football a couple of times. It just, it, it felt like one just big pile of coal handed to the Jets three days before Christmas. And now you look at where do we go from here? First off with the quarterback position, thank God we finally found a doctor that could clear Mike White to play. But do we really even have the long-term solution, the long-term answer uh, on this team, the long-term answer within this franchise? Because it doesn't feel like the front office believes in Mike White. It doesn't feel like they want to stick with him uh, long-term. Zach Wilson, while they say all the right things. They clearly don't believe in him. I mean, why else would they believe him with the way he's played this year? And the fact that this coming week against Seattle, he's been moved to third string. He's not going to dress. He's not going to be active. Hell, I'm surprised they're even going to take him on the flight with them out to Seattle. What's even more painful with all of this, we've watched with this quarterback situation is you look around them you know other than the offensive line who's mi missing some key pieces uh due to injuries with uh the loss of Vera Tucker and even Beckton if he can ever stay healthy and keep his weight in control you look around this team is pretty solid in every facet you know that they have Good running backs, especially when you get Brees Hall back next year. They have young wide receivers in Garrett Wilson and Eliza Moore. Even uh, you look like looks like you've been getting something recently out of Denzel Mims. Although the veterans in the wide receiver group have been big disappointments, and I wouldn't be surprised if both Corey Davis and uh, uh, Braxton Berrios are cut this offseason. But that defense, that defense is a playoff caliber defense. That defense, you know, all you got to do is score 20, 21 points. And we're talking about a team that is nine and three or nine and five or whatever. Not a, not a team that sh should be sitting here right now where disgustingly they still have their postseason uh lives on the line They're, they haven't been eliminated from anything and if they went out and get some help they could be in they but they've put themselves in this spot with this horrendous month of december that not winning winnable games against the vikings lions and jaguars and you, you want to give them a pass on the bills game fine but those three games against the Vikings, Lions, and Jaguars should be in the WCOM. We should be t sitting here talking about a 10-5 and football team that has locked up a postseason spot. Now, the Jets have two games remaining on the road. 
where they've actually been better uh, this year. Thankfully, they're getting white pack, and they got the help that they needed over the weekend. It was a struggle there a, a little bit at the end for the Bengals, but you got the fumble by Ramondre Stevenson that allowed them to lock things up in uh, New England. Uh, the, you get uh, the Dolphins blowing a double-digit lead against the Packers and Tua throwing the football to the Packers left him right in the second half of that game. And it's not like you're beating facing world beaters these last two weeks of the season. Seattle, they were 6-3 and three just like the Jets, but have fallen back down to earth and have been 1-5 in their last six contests just like the Jets. And, you know, we'll see how they do against this Jets defense on Sunday afternoon. Then you've got the Dolphins in Week 18, if you get by that. And who knows what the status of Tua Tagovailoa is, considering now he's in concussion protocol for the second time this season. But even if they win both of those games... They're going to need a, a loss from the Patriots somewhere uh, along the way. And what will help them there is, you know, hopefully if the Dolphins aren't playing uh, Tua on Sunday, that they have Teddy Bridgewater ready to go in his place. And he, he's more than serviceable going up against New England. And the Patriots got to play the Bills in Week 18. And the Bills, we know, are dead set playing it all the way through to get the number one seat. So it's there for the Jets. The problem is they're in their own way. But we have the quarterback back that Jet fans want to see out there. The the quarterback that gives this Jet team the best chance at winning games down the stretch. I will say this, though. The one area that Robert Sala has truly failed at this um, year is that he let this quarterback situation cause a an aura, a cloud over this team. Because you could see Garrett Wilson or DJ Reed with their arm around Zach's shoulders or giving them hugs on the sidelines all you want after these games. It's clear they don't like him. It's clear they don't want him around. It's clear that this team has a love and affection for Mike White. The fact that, I mean, have you ever seen any of these guys wearing Zach Wilson t-shirts to the airport? I mean, that has greatly created a divide here between uh, this team where it's almost a 52 versus one scenario and cast a dark cloud over this team in the times when Zach had to play these last couple of weeks and probably utterly destroyed his confidence. But then again, why should we have any confidence in him? Because it's if we made a mistake, the Jets made a mistake, Jet fans getting behind this guy made a mistake. Robert Sala, Joe Douglas, now hopefully they can... Uh, survive this because you know they've done a great job building the rest of the roster. I've had good drafts since uh, they've been here together. But failing with the number two overall pick at the quarterback position, that's something that can set you back 
for a very long time. That's something that, you know, it's the hardest thing in all of professional sports to find, the franchise quarterback. Something that they've been looking for since Joe Willie Namath. And now Zach Wilson, unfortunately, is going to go on that long list, that pantheon of quarterbacks that were duds, that were complete failures as high draft picks. He's going to be right up there with Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell. And I just hope for for, uh, Sala and Douglas's sake that they are able to survive this because the Jets are going to go nowhere if they keep having turnover in the front office based on the failures at the quarterback position. All right, a lot to get to this week. Give you some thoughts on the Christmas Day games in the NBA, mixing some baseball, uh, football with some breaking news uh, yesterday in the NFL that everyone should have seen coming. So a lot to get to over the next about oh, 40 minutes or so here. Glad you guys could join me this week. So at this time, please sit back, relax, help, put your feet up on the table if there's one in front of you, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Thankfully, there were some things to be positive, cheerful, and optimistic about when it comes to sports for yours truly. Because I've always said that the New York Jets have kind of been that dark cloud that hangs over my fandom, have created the cynical side of me. Well, the positive side, the optimistic side, the always remain hopeful side of me when it comes to sports, is, of course, the New York Yankees, who finally this past week had a press conference to announce Aaron Judge's re-signing. Like, they acted like we hadn't already heard about this for two weeks. But also, it was something that was long-awaited, something that... No, we had been expecting for a while and really didn't need to be officially said, but, and in the grand scheme of things, it isn't, you know, important when it comes to wins and losses on the field, but Aaron Judge was named the 16th captain of the Yankees franchise history. First captain since Derek Jeter, and it was great to see Jeter there. Uh, another former Yankee captain and Willie Randolph uh, was there. You could see that this meant a lot to judge. And you know, while I, I said it, it does not mean anything in the grand scheme of things, um, you don't see a lot of teams uh, name a player a captain. I mean, in the past, we've seen the Red Sox name Jason Veritek, their captain. The Mets named David Wright, their captain. Doesn't affect anything truly on the the, uh, the field. It, it, it probably means more to the guys 
in the clubhouse and more to the fans than it does anything of the symbolism of it. And they didn't need to officially name him that for us to all recognize him as the leader of this team, which he's been since his rookie year, 2017. But it was a cool moment, a justified moment. And now going forward, let's hope that Aaron Judge does not become like Don Mattingly and become one of the few Yankee captains in history that doesn't win a championship. Because that's what's important. I mean, first off, can the Yankees stop talking plural? Can we talk about winning a championship before we're talking multiple championships? I judge mentioned that at his press conference. Uh, I've heard Cashman say the word championships multiple times the last couple of years. How about get one? All right. You haven't won since 2009. And that's an eternity in in this franchise. This is, this is not a place like Kansas City where they win once every 30 years and they're happy. All right. Yankee fans are getting a little bit no, impatient. If that makes us greedy, fine. But this, you guys set a standard that we're supposed to abide by. And quite frankly, recent years, you haven't done that. You have one team that keeps getting in your way. And you got to get the, past that demon before you can talk about a championship. Or as you guys keep saying, championships. Now, the part of to help getting in that direction was signing Carlos Rodon, who on the surface, you like him as a pitcher, seems like a, a guy that embraces the big spot. But once again, you never, as good as he's been the last couple of years with the Giants, you never know how someone's going to react to playing in New York. And while his press conference on Thursday was uh, nice and everything. I came away from that press conference annoyed. Not in anything Rodon said, although clearly he's a guy that the Yankees should allow to bypass the no facial hair uh, policy, but I digress on that. It's once again Randy Levine making public comments, which I, I never understand why they let this guy talk publicly. Yes, he's the team president, but that's on the business side of things. He does He's never truly around the day-to-day baseball operations uh, side of things. Has no impact on the construction of the roster. Is more concerned when it comes to finances and payroll and, and whatnot. But when it comes to baseball stuff, he always sticks his foot in his mouth. He always sounds like a, a complete and utter buffoon. I mean, it's bad enough with both Judge's press conference and Rodon's co- press conference. He looked like he just rolled out of bed 15 minutes before uh, both of those. Didn't look presentable at all, even even though he was wearing a, a, a sports coat. But the comments he's making uh, up there before he introduces Rodon, quote, There's no doubt the Yankees have been, are today, and will continue in the future as the flagship of Major League Baseball. Wherever you go all over the world, you'll see a Yankee hat, a Yankee jacket, or a Yankee shirt. Because in many ways, people think about baseball, the first thing that comes to their mind are the Yankees. Like, come on. Randy, we're not all stupid. 
we know who you're trying to take a blindside shot at. You're trying to, you know, throw a little punch to the gut of. You're trying to throw a shot at the New York Mets. That, I mean, you can think we're stupid all we want, but we can read right through those. And they were unnecessary comments. Yes, the Yankees are the the most recognizable brand in the sport. That goes without saying. Then why do you have to say it? Why do you have to make it so publicly obvious uh, like that? Well, no, what? Are you feeling the heat because the Mets have spent a combined total of $800 million in total contracts this offseason with all the re-signings and additions that they've made at this point? Are, are you trying to take a subtle shot at Steve Cohen? The fact that, oh, now you're not the, the richest club in town anymore, that he is more George Steinbrenner than even George Steinbrenner even was. It, it just, it felt unnecessary, but that's Randy Levine. Anytime there's an, a microphone in his face, he says something stupid and makes a complete and utter idiot of himself. Now, I did a video podcast on this last week. We're in a little bit of a, but we're right now in a little bit of a holding pattern when it comes to those aforementioned New York Mets, because you look at uh, what's uh, going on right now with the Mets. You look at you know all of the guys, all of the signings that they have made uh, recently. The, the most recent one is, of course, the addition of Carlos Correa, or at least we thought was the addition of Carlos Correa because it was around 4 a.m. last Wednesday morning. I'm waking up for work. And I see on social media that the Mets had agreed to terms on a 12-year contract with Correa. And I had known what happened. I had seen what happened the day before uh, with all of the uh, nonsense. So with the, or I shouldn't say nonsense. Uh, uh, the giant fans probably will call it nonsense. Were his physical, their front office didn't like uh, something the doctors saw in there and his deal was put on hold. And because he had never officially signed anything with the Giants, Scott Boris went running back to the Mets, who who he had a previous conversations with Steve Cohen on and agreed to a 12-year, uh, $315 million uh, contract with Correa. Well, now the Mets are having pause once again over concerns with something dealing with his lower right leg leading to uh, their deal being on hold, nothing being made official there. And we're at the point here, you know, three days after that, where there are people in the know that still think a deal could be likely but are putting it only at about a 50-50 proposition that 
this is going to happen. And uh, now I'm wondering now, are the Mets going to lower the contract as far as total years and and, uh, average AAV? Uh, Is he still going to go there and be the Mets third baseman? Or is somebody going to swoop in like the Mets and say, oh, we don't care about what the physical says. We're still going, we'll still give you, uh, you know, 12 years for 315 or 13 for 350. Or is he so dead set on joining the Mets willing to move the third base that he'll uh, take a quote unquote lesser deal from them. Take a, a, a lesser deal from uh, Steve Cohen and, and company to still become a New York Met over the long term. And there's a lot of things at play here that you know, we're going to have to see in the days or even possibly weeks to come on whether this is still going to happen. I mean, you went from euphoria early uh, Thursday morning from Mets fans to now concern on whether they're going to have the richest infield, the richest left side of the infield in baseball history. And, you know, while... The potential fallback options are not bad for the Mets, especially because you have a top prospect that that organization's loved for a long time in Beatty that could step in and be your third baseman. And you've had this great offseason with getting Verlander, with adding the uh, Japanese ace Senga, adding uh, Quintana, re-signing uh, Diaz re- re-signing Nimmo, adding to the bullpen with Robertson and re-signing uh, Adovino. This is potentially the biggest fish of them all, and you could lose him before you even truly had him. Now, one more thing before I take a break here. I've seen that Major League Baseball has reinstated Trevor Bauer after reinstating or after lessening his suspension. Remember, back on July 2nd in 2021, he was placed on administrative leave while there was an investigation going on um, into a sexual assault allegation that had been made against him. And as that was going on, he was still getting paid. But uh, in... uh, September that year, they continued on his leave through the rest of the season before uh, this past uh, April announcing that he would be suspended for 324 games, essentially the equivalent of two seasons without pay for violating uh, their domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policies. Longest uh, non-lifetime suspension in MLB history that Bauer has been uh, appealing and trying to fight. Well, last week they uh, reduced the suspension to 194 games. Basically, this entire past season and the the games that he missed 
in uh, the 2021 season were added together and given as this suspension. But I don't know what kind of future this guy has in baseball. Even with his suspension being over, even though he didn't legally uh, uh, serve at any time, didn't have anything uh, against him in uh, that w- way. Because you know, the, while he was a Cy Young winner in 2020, the pandemic season, did that mostly against the AL Central and NL Central. Remember that year, both of those teams were garbage. Uh, the 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 only two teams to make the postseason from uh, those two seasons were the division winners. So he he feasted on the likes of the Royals and the Twins that year, and the, the garbage that is the National League Central. But uh, since then, he's he moved on to the Dodgers on a big deal. As soon as th- this was all announced, that locker room detested him, didn't want him him back in there. That's why the Dodgers in all likelihood are going to release him uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. And everywhere he goes, even though he's a good pitcher, he's just a pain in the ass. He's just a problem. Remember, at one point he even went over uh, before the – Cleveland now Guardians uh, got rid of him. He was going around the clubhouse asking everybody, hey, why do you guys hate me? He just rubs people the the wrong way. He pisses off managers. Terry Francona, remember the disrespect he showed him before he got traded there, throwing the, the ball over the center field wall during a start in which Terry was pulling him from. He's just, he is not... Take out you know, any off-the-field discretions you want. On the field, he's not worth the trouble. And I'm not sure who's going to waste their time and energy on this guy. And if you're a Met fan, you should be very happy that he turned down your deal, your offer two years ago and went to the Dodgers. Because that could have prevented you from getting Scherzer, could have prevented you from, being, from getting Verlander. And quite frankly... Like I said, the guy is not worth all the headaches. All right, going to take another break here, come back on the other side, redirect my attention back to the NFL. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Expected to happen for a while now finally happened on Monday afternoon. The Denver Broncos decided to waste no time, decided not to wait until the end of the season, and have announced that they are firing their head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, after only 15 games this season. You've got to be pretty damn bad as a head coach, to not make it through your first full season. 
And you you look at last year, you had the situation with Urban Meyer and the Jaguars, but there was beyond just on the field garbage. It was a disaster off the field that made that entire organization look like a clown show, made that entire organization look like, quite frankly, an embarrassment to call an NFL franchise. This was different. The Broncos were expected to contend. Remember, we talked about it before the season. People thought maybe the AFC West could have four playoff teams uh, with how loaded that division was. There were people saying, oh, is this the best division of, of all time? And there's been disappointment there. Yeah, the Chiefs won the division. Chargers made the playoffs. But the Raiders uh, have taken one step forward, two steps back all year. And the Broncos have been a complete crap show. And that's after trading a lot of highly thought of pieces to go get Russell Wilson. And Wilson, as much as I love the guy, as much as I've always been a fan of his, he's been awful. He's you know, 27th in touchdown interception ratio, is 32nd in the league in completion percentage, has been sacked the most of any quarterback in this sport. That offense has been hideous. They're averaging 15 and a half points a game, only had 22 offensive touchdowns, and that's coming during a year where their defense has been awesome. They're allowing less than 20 points a game. It's you know, kind of the same thing that I'm saying with the Jets earlier. You score 21, and that team's going to win you 10 games. They scored 21 points a game. This team, we'd be sitting here, rather than talking about them as 4-11, maybe we're talking about them as 10 and 5 maybe 11 4 at worst 9 and 6 and battling for a wild card spot in these final couple of weeks of the season and this is also damning to russell wilson's legacy because russell wilson now you got people taking shots at him making fun of him on tv saying that oh he's he's the worst quarterback named wilson in the nfl making it look like Oh, he was more of a system quarterback under Pete Carroll rather than a great quarterback, a guy that could lead you potentially to a Super Bowl. So it has not been a good year for Russell Wilson. Plus, other teams are making fun of him with some of his his uh, stick, you know, you know, his workouts on planes to London, uh, the people making fun of the whole Broncos country less ride thing. All the way around, it's been a disaster for him. So hopefully for his sake, they get a head coach that he likes that can help him turn things around. Otherwise, you know, what looked like it could have been a Hall of Fame uh, caliber career, if it, it keeps going this direction these next couple of years of this contract, we're going to start looking at with some raised eyebrows saying maybe it was more about Pete Carroll than it was you. And another quarterback that people are starting to raise some eyebrows about is Tua. You know, earlier I'm talking about how the Jets got some help from the Packers. And while it's good for the Packers, kept their uh, postseason hopes alive, the Dolphins, their postseason uh, lives, well, if the season ended today, a term that I'm not a big fan of, season ended today, they would make the postseason. Their postseason lives are on life support. Because 
a month ago, we're talking, oh, can they win the division? Could they be in competition for uh, the one or two seed in the AFC? Now they're just trying to struggle to hang on. They've lost four straight games. Tua has thrown five interceptions during that time, including three on Sunday in the uh, fourth quarter. And now is back in concussion protocol after some of the, the hits he took on Sunday. A, you've got to wonder about his long-term future. Is, is this a guy that you want to build around going forward? Because you don't want to give a, even though it's only his third year, you don't want to give a long-term deal to a guy before next year or after next year that is going to keep having concussion problems. And that's something that his sleight of frame was worried about coming out of Alabama. But then in the, the most pressurized spots of the season, he's blowing it for this team. And they had a chance to blow that game open against the Packers on Sunday. And they had a 10-point lead right before the two-minute warning. But mostly, most of their uh, fumbles the ball, giving the Packers life to score uh, right before halftime. And then in the fourth quarter, Tua ends three consecutive drives with an interception and the Packers were able to slowly but methodically take the lead in this game after they came out. It was you know, an aerial attack early on. He ends the game with three consecutive drives uh, with interceptions. And now they're looking at the last two weeks where they're going up against division opponents who are saying, hey, the Dolphins are vulnerable. They're looking at the Patriots. They're looking at the Jets. And those two teams are licking their chops saying, hey, we still got a shot for the playoffs here. And we're going up against the Dolphins team that also has questions at quarterback, that uh, has been struggling just like us in the last month and a half. Maybe this is our get right game. So, no, there's no sure thing for the Dolphins. And it's going to be a hell of a fight. These last three weeks between the Jets, uh, Dolphins, and the Patriots to see who gets in the postseason. And that's not even counting some of the teams that are still alive around them for uh, postseason uh, hopes. Now, somehow, somewhere, the Raiders, even after the loss on Saturday night to the Steelers, are still alive. Now, they needed the Dol- they would have needed a Dolphins win on Sunday to eliminate them, but... You know, they uh, blew a lead against a Steelers team that couldn't move the football to save their life uh, on Saturday night that was, you know, still emotionally reeling after the, you know, tragic uh, passing of Franco Harris uh, last week, the uh, legendary uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I say tragic because it wasn't even like he was sick. He was, yeah, he was 72 years old, but he wasn't sick. He wasn't dealing with any... Um, uh, previous medical conditions just passed away in, in his sleep from what it sounds like and coming on a week in which they were supposed to honor him and retire his number got, made that moment very melancholy rather than celebratory as it should have been but Steelers honored him the best way that they could uh, with the halftime uh, retirement Jersey retirement still, and by coming back and beating the Raiders, keeping their postseason hopes on the, alive, 
as well as keeping alive a streak that somehow, someway, even as bad as the Steelers have looked this year, as many games as they've choked up at the end, Mike Tomlin's streak of consecutive seasons without a losing season is still there. It's still alive. You know, two games left to go starting this Sunday night against uh, the Baltimore Ravens where the Ravens, yeah, they're going to be in the postseason, but they are sinking fast here, folks. I mean, where is Lamar Jackson? When are we going to see this guy again? Hundley has been able to take advantage of the fact that they have a weaker schedule this year late in the season than last year. But he's not doing anything impressive. He's not doing anything set the world on fire. Their defense has been uh, saving their rear ends. And yes, it's against the Falcons, but they stifle, stifled them in four trips to the red zone. Got a big turnover uh, late that uh, kind of sealed the things. And we're lucky they were going up against a rookie quarterback in, in Desmond Ritter. And offensively, the Ravens aren't any type of world beaters. They've just been able to survive and hope that Lamar comes back at, at some point. But you know, any hopes that they had uh, in winning this division without Lamar, those have gone by the wayside. Even, uh, even though the Bengals... It's been a. It's funny. Each of the last two weeks, it's been a struggle for them to get their win. They, you know, they don't. They no show in the first half against the Bucks, and then their offense uh, the, uh, rolls right past uh, Brady and company. And then this past week, looks like they're gonna blow out the Patriots. But second half, they start uh, having self-inflicted wounds. Would it be the pick six by Marcus Jones? Uh, you had Evan McPherson miss a 43-yard uh, field goal. You have another wacky play involving the Patriots in which um, uh, Mac Jones throws up a pass on third and 29 uh, that is tipped in the air by a receiver at the goal line, only for Jacoby Myers to be standing right there and uh, taken in for a 48-yard touchdown if not for and then you have Jamar Chase fumble uh in uh Bengals territory that and look like the, the Patriots were going to come down and win the game if not for a uh, Ramondre Stevens fumble at uh the goal line with a minute to go the Bengals are looking at a spot where they're keeping the Ravens alive for week 18 for uh the division but you know, they still have control of the division, still have it in their hands, have a tough matchup next Monday night against the Bills that could decide not just them winning the division, but decide the one seed in the AFC. And, uh, you know, they've got these two tough matchups coming up at the end of the year here that are going to say a lot about the AFC uh, side of the postseason. One thing that both sides of the postseason are hoping is that they get their their conferences' respective se- southern divisions there, which, quite frankly, you look at those divisions and you say, does anybody actually want to win those divisions? Does anybody actually 
or want to stand up and proudly say, yeah, we want to win the AFC or NFC South. Because quite frankly, I wouldn't mind if the NFL stepped in and said, nah, you both don't get to be part of the postseason. And I know the Jaguars have come to life here. And it, it it's actually a good thing that the Jaguars have control of the division right now because the, if they were in the wild card mix, they uh, would hold a tiebreaker over the Jets after last week's win. But their recent run of success the last month has been mixed with the fact that the Tennessee Titans cannot get out of their own way. A month ago, they were in the mix for potentially being a, a, a top three seed in this conference, and now they're struggling to hang on and are doing so with a a quarterback that, quite frankly, does not look like he should be on the field. A quarterback that, quite frankly, does not look like he's ready to be on the field in Malik Willis, and they've got to stick with him for the rest of the season because they're without Ryan Tannehill. And this kid, while he's got athleticism to him, he can run the football, he can't throw the ball. He can't throw the football uh, deep down the field. Hell, can't even complete the quick intermediate passes. And they blew a game against uh, the Texans, the Texans who have been showing the last three weeks that, yeah, we're 2-12-1, but we're coming to play each and every single week. And it was self-inflicted wounds by the Titans late in this game that cost them. Henry fumbling in Texans territory. Uh, you know, the third fumble for him in the last three games. And then uh, Willis gets picked on the last two drives that lock things up for the Texans. And the Texans, you know, despite what their front office probably wants them to do, and that's lose so they have their choice at quarterback with the first overall pick they've been competitive they've been uh, feisty these last couple of weeks and have been that one of those teams late in the season that is trying to spoil things and now the, the Titans without the guy that should be quarterbacking them Ryan Tannehill could be looking at a very very disappointing uh, way to end their year their year is ending a lot the same way that the Ravens' year was ending a year ago. And then when it comes to the NFC South, I mean, I, I've had enough of watching the NFC South. I mean, I've, I've had enough of hearing about, uh, as great respect as I have for Tom Brady, I've had enough of hearing about them overcoming late leads. I've had enough of about hearing, oh, Tom Brady does it again. Tom Brady comes to life late in this game. Yo, what? This feels a lot like uh, the way Tim Tebow was winning games for the Denver Broncos 10 years ago where they do nothing offensively for the first you know, 50 minutes of these games. And then the last 10 minutes, they finally decide to show up. You, you get some semblance of life out of the corpses known as Julio Jones and Leonard Fournette. You know, Mike Evans you know, starts to play like the Pro Bowl 
level wide receiver he should be. And the best option he's had, surprisingly, has been Chris Godwin. And Chris Godwin can barely even move out there on the field. He's still trying to um, fully recover from his torn ACL last year. And now Brady, three straight games, multiple interceptions. It, the the Buccaneers, they're just they're hard to watch. They're you know, maybe it's because we set expectations for them so high, but I almost hope that they lose these last two weeks. Finish at uh, at you know seven and ten, and miss out on the postseason altogether. Because I don't want to watch them in the playoffs. Even though in all likelihood they'd beat the Dallas Cowboys, I don't want to see them. I don't want to see. The, them give me the Panthers. The Panthers are at least fun. The Panthers are exciting. The Panthers are enjoyable to to watch. They'd probably get stomped out by the Cowboys in the first round. You now that or and uh, be eliminated on week one of the postseason. But at least I'd go into the game uh, thinking that. Oh, maybe the Cowboy fans are too full of themselves. Maybe the Cowboy fans are too excited, especially coming off of uh, last Saturday's win, which it's funny how Cowboy fans uh, react. You know, two months ago, they're trying to tell you all, oh, it was a fluke that we lost to the Eagles because we had Cooper Rush as a quarterback. Now they're walk out there puffing their chests out saying, yeah, we them boys, we beat the the Philadelphia Eagles. We uh, came back from double-digit deficits uh, so many times. Yeah, you came back because uh, your defense took advantage of Gardner Minshew turning the ball over uh, constantly, got a lucky break with Miles Sanders' uh, fumble late there in the fourth quarter, and the fact that the Eagles of had a brain fart in there and didn't figure out, hmm, maybe we should have someone cover C.D. Lamb in the slot here and instead of letting him burn us down the middle of the field all freaking game long. And now this is just what you want out of Cowboy fans. You want them to be overly excited. You want Michael Irvin going on ESPN or NFL Network pumping up all uh, the the cowboy fans thinking that oh the, the, this team still has a shot this team is still going to do big things because then then it sets up the disappointment e- even worse later on i mean what they don't realize is yeah the eagles still put up 500 points uh, or almost 500 uh, yards of offense on saturday but they were doing it without their starting quarterback. They had no ground game whatsoever. You know, Jalen Hurts being out there is a lot different. It would be a lot different story than what you had with Gardner Minshew. Well, well, Gardner Minshew was competitive, gave them a shot. He also turned the football over too many times. At, at times where it looked like maybe the Eagles could uh, blow the game open, he threw uh, two interceptions. Uh, the fumbled the football on their own uh, 36-yard line that gave uh, Dallas short field position all game long. You know, they're giving the Cowboys short field position to work with in allowing them to come back in this game. And doing so where the the Cowboys knew, yeah, 
they don't have a dual threat out there at quarterback. So we're right in the position that you, you want it to be if you're a Cowboys hater like myself. They are too full of themselves. They're too cocky. They're feeling themselves up too much uh, and overly positive, setting themselves up for the fall. Whether that be against Tom Brady and the Bucks, or what I more hope to happen being the Carolina Panthers and their ground game. Dallas, at some point, their year is going to be ruined. At some point, they're going to be given that late Christmas gift of coal from Santa Claus. And it's going to be the same old Dallas Cowboys it's been since 1996. Going to take one last break here, come back on the other side, finish things up for this week and keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. For hopefully the last time this year, I want to wish you all a very merry and happy Christmas. Hopefully Sunday was very pleasant, safe, and joyous for you all. And even for those of you who don't celebrate Christmas for your own different religious beliefs and values, I hope you're all enjoying the holiday season as well. Sunday was very peaceful and relaxing for me. It, the holiday season's usually very much low-key for yours truly between the fact that I don't get together with my extended family. It's just me, my mom, and my siblings. We don't go out to anywhere. Just hang out, open gifts, have, have dinner together. Very peaceful, very relaxing. And add in to that, you got sports on all day, but none of my teams are playing. None of So there's no potential agita. The, the only real concern for me was watching Dolphins Packers. And no, thank you very much for the Christmas gift, uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, by helping out the Jets' postseason hopes and putting a little chink in the armor there for the uh, Miami Dolphins. I think it's my Brooklyn Nets, who you would expect to be a team that would play on Christmas Day, didn't play because the NBA clearly uh, had concerns about putting the Nets on Christmas after all of the nonsense that went on during the offseason with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Would they still be on the team? And then uh, you know, whatever it is going on on a week-in, week-out basis with Ben Simmons. But don't look now, folks. My Brooklyn Nets have come to life. My Brooklyn Nets are showing that they are a team uh, to be taken seriously, a team that is right there in the mix uh, when it comes to a postseason uh, bid or even more than that, championship contention in the, the Eastern Conference. Because, you know, 10 weeks ago, I was ready to blow this team up. 
I was ready to say, let's start over. Let's rebuild. After Steve Nash resigned nine games into the season, they were game under 500. But since Jacques Vaughn took over, this team's been on fire. They, they've gone from a game under 500 to now nine games over 500. And winning their, or 10 games over, excuse me, and now winning their ninth consecutive game last night. And look at the last couple of games have been against quality uh, competition. I talked about last week when they when they, it was still just a six-game streak. Like, yeah, it's good that they've uh, gotten on a bit of a roll here, but they hadn't beaten anybody. Last three games, you, you look at it. They go to Cleveland last night, and while it was a struggle, it was... No, down to the wire, especially with Durant fouling out late. They held on and, and locked up a win against a, a team that you're going to be seeing down the road in the, the playoffs uh, in all likelihood in, in the Cavaliers. Friday night, they handled their business at home against the Milwaukee Bucks, albeit without Chris um, Middleton out there as he's still dealing with some lingering knee soreness uh, from his injury last year. But you still had Giannis. You still had Holiday out there. The rest of that crew was uh, still there. Brooke Lopez included. Had to take care of business against one of the top contenders in the East. And then last Wednesday, blew out the Warriors at home, which, my God, the Warriors, it's night and day them without Steph Curry. Because you know, Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson have been inconsistent. You know that you know, while Draymond Green's at as good uh, an all-around player as there is in the sport. He's not a big-time scorer. And some of their younger players, have, like Wiseman and Kaminga, have taken steps back uh, this year rather than the hope step forward that they um, were hoping for. That's why the, the Warriors are sitting here right now in 11th place in the Western Conference. But the Nets are playing some good basketball. They Now, for the Nets, the... Just got to keep, keep KD healthy, keep Kyrie's head um, on straight, re- keep reminding him that he's playing for his contract, playing for his NBA future after uh, this season. And I'd l- like them to get another big man. Listen, I like Nicholas Claxton. I think he's uh, an emerging young player for this team. But he's very, as tall as he is, he's not really that big. He's, he's not someone that down on the block is going to be able to fight for those rebounds with other uh, big-time centers. And he's a, he's good at blocking. He's good at, at, at uh, getting lobs under the rim, very athletic. But he's someone that you know other centers in this league might have their way with late in these games. And I, I'd like another big body there as just insurance at the center position for the Nets as they go along here. But... Other than that, really can't complain about much you're seeing from this team, especially with Durant now uh, back to uh, putting himself in the MVP conversation. But I did sit back and watch these games on Christmas. Uh, Was very much locked into the uh, Knicks-Sixers game, as well as uh, Lakers versus Mavericks to see Luka and LeBron. And then late that night uh, with the Nuggets and the, the Suns, that game going to overtime before uh, the, the Nuggets pulled that out and 
taking control of the number one spot in the Western Conference. But if watching all of these teams on Sunday, there's some, there's something each of them need. There's They could each use a Christmas gift, and that's what I'm here for. So you look at them. Uh, with the first game, the Philadelphia 76ers. Well, some would say that Christmas gift would be a healthy Tyrese Maxey. He's going to be back soon. I'm more focused on giving them a motivated James Harden. The last thing that you want to hear right now if you're a Philadelphia Sixers fan is that James Harden is contemplating leaving you as a free agent this coming off season. That he's already thinking about a potential return to the Houston Rockets. That does you no good. That does nobody any good. And, and if he's not solely focused on the task at hand. So I'm giving the Philadelphia 76ers a motivated James Harden because a motivated James Harden is still as great a scorer as there is in the sport. While you don't need him to be that team's best player, you, Joel Embiid is the guy. He's he's the leading force. He's as dominant a, a center as we have in this sport right now. If you have James Harden focused on the with his eye on the prize, realizing that you don't want to be another one of these Hall of Famers like a Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, in all likelihood Carmelo Anthony or Chris Paul that goes their entire career without winning a championship, this squad that you have right now might be your best opportunity at finally getting there. There's no team that you look at in the Eastern Conference and say they're overwhelmingly ahead of all of us. The opportunity's right there in front of you. You just need James Harden to be all in if you you want to get there. For the Knicks, I'd give them the head coach that has common sense. Because they're, while right now they're the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, I worry about this team's durability. As as fun as they are to watch at times, you know, Jalen Brunson playing at an all-star caliber level, Julius Randle turning things around after how horrible he was last year, uh, looking deserving of that contract extension, looking like a uh, potential all-star in his own right as well. Tom Thibodeau has got to stop with these short rotations. That's going to burn this team out in uh, the long run of things here. And you you played with an eight and a half man rotation on Sunday. And I say eight and a half because McBride only played six minutes. Everybody else was at 15 plus throughout that game. You've got to get more people in the mix here. Yeah, I know Cam Reddish doesn't play defense that much, but get him on the court. He can score uh, the basketball. I mean, for God's sakes, you're giving minutes to Derrick Rose for crying out loud. And so the, the, this team, get a head coach with common sense that will stretch things out during the regular season to an 11-man rotation. Because this eight-man rotation you're trying to pull, it's going to burn the team out in the long run. And in the second half, all of these cute wins that you're getting, uh, putting yourself in the sixth spot, it's not going to... Uh, remain that way if you burn these guys out, especially you know, at a time where you're looking at the Eastern Conference. You now, the East, the Eastern Conference, remember, th there's some teams 
that in the East have quite frankly disappointed this year, that have not really gotten going, especially you want to look at the Miami Heat who are down at the 9 seed right now, the Toronto Raptors who are a 10 seed, the Bulls who we, we thought were going to be a playoff contender, they're all the way at 11. There's still time in the season for them to all make runs. You, you, you know, the, the, the gap between six, where the Knicks are at right now, and 11 is three games. So they could very easily lose their control on uh, that before all is uh, said and done. For the Mavericks and the Lakers, my Christmas gifts for them, Mavericks, a consistent number two scorer behind Luka Doncic. You never gave Dirk Nowitzki that. You got to give Luka that at, at some point if you want to compete for a championship and if you want to make sure you keep him happy and keep him a Dallas Maverick for life. Well, for the Lakers, now, truth serum, look themselves in the mirror, right? You're not going anywhere. This team is not making some kind of late postseason run here. They're Right now, they are two and a half games back for the 10 seed in the Western Conference. There's seven games under 500. You've lost four in a row, and who knows if or when Anthony Davis is going to come back. If he's back and healthy before the trade deadline, trade him. After LeBron James sets the all-time scoring record sometime in the next month, talk to him about a trade to a, a contender because this team's not going anywhere. They can't get it. They can't shoot the basketball. They, the, every time you think they're about to get things going, they'll lose another three games in a row, and there's still seven games under 500. The 13th seed in the Western Conference, they're, they're not going to do anything that's going to impress you or bold you over this year. For the Celtics and, and the Bucks, the Bucs, it's easy. Give them a, a healthy Chris Middleton. He's only played seven games this season and hasn't played uh, since the 15th of December. That you really, I really can't judge the Bucs until they're at whole, even though it's been impressive what they've done so far. But they need Chris Middleton back so that they can avoid the Christmas gift I'm giving to the Celtics, and that's home court advantage against the Bucs in the playoffs. Both of these teams have been a phenomenal at home. The Bucks are 14 and 3, the Celtics are 13 and 5. But on the road, the Celtics are 6 games over 500, while the Bucks have been a 500 team at best. You want if these two teams are playing, if and you're a Bucks fan, you want game 7 to be in Milwaukee, not in Boston where all of the ghosts, all of the history, the, the, the tradition of Boston Celtics basketball could overcome you uh, once again, like it did last year. For the Warriors, I'm giving them road wins because they can't win on the road. I mean, they've been the, one of the best teams in the sport at, at home at 13-2, and two, and on the road, They've been 3-16. and 16. They've been a expansion franchise on uh, the road. Though I, I do give them credit in the, what, what, while it was at home, it, 
Sunday was an emotional matchup, them against the Grizzlies. There's been a lot of trash talk since late last year between these two squads. And wanted to see them step up and have a big moment against uh, a, a team after getting their doors blown off in back-to-back games at the Garden at the Barclays Center uh, last week. For the Grizzlies, I'd give them all. I'd also give them a consistent number two score. I I like Brooks. I like uh, Jaron Jackson, but these guys aren't real number twos. These guys are nice pieces, good. You no, know, on both ends of the court, but they need someone that is going to be the Robin to John Morant's Batman. And as far as the Nuggets and the Suns are concerned, the Suns, while this is the low-hanging fruit, now give Chris Paul five inches of height because then maybe you'll have one of the most explosive point guards in the history of the sport rather than having to look up at everybody because then maybe he'd be a more willing, more deadly outside shooter. And for the Nuggets, I'm going to give them home court advantage throughout the Western Conference. You look at them, the only team in the West that has a better home record than them are the Grizzlies and the Warriors. They're 12-3 and at home, and while they're game over 500 on the road, coming into that altitude, it's going to wear on teams if you got to do it four times in such a short uh, time period. I, mean, I, I like everything I, I see about the Nuggets. You know, uh, the Joker looks like he's on his way to a third straight MVP. They've got the entire squad uh, healthy there with uh, Jamal Murray, with Michael Porter Jr., uh, Aaron Gordon, who put on a show, uh, a dunk fest on Sunday night against uh the Suns, but if you ever gave that team home court advantage throughout the West, it'd be a very dangerous proposition. And I might give one last Christmas gift out, one extra bonus one out, and that's to our two local teams here, the Jets and the Giants, make the postseason. It's been a long damn time since we've seen both the Jets and the Giants, not just in the postseason, but in the postseason together. We're talking about year one of the Ben McAdoo era for uh, the Giants. And you're talking about the second year of the Rex Ryan era for the Jets. Both teams are three head coaches removed from that. And the Giants, Giants all they got to do is win on Sunday against the Colts. Jets got to win out their games and get a little bit of help. How cool, I know neither team would get to play a game at MetLife, but how much would it liven things up in this area if in the next couple of weeks we're sitting here talking about both the Jets and the Giants playing in postseason games? That would be awesome. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 for Tuesday, December 27th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great week. Stay safe. Have fun this weekend on New Year's Eve. I don't want to hear about anyone doing anything stupid. And I'll talk to you guys all again, same time next Monday. Until then, have a 
very happy New Year, everyone. Peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.